Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Crimson Vow Crash Course here on Lords of Limited. My name is Ben Warney, and joining me on the line, as always, is Ethan Sachs. Ethan, I am feeling very rested. Got an extra hour of sleep thanks to daylight savings time. Marching man season is over, and I am ready to talk Crimson Vow. Yeah, it's the, the most wonderful time of the year, right? And we get it twice this fall, like uh, unlike last year when we were in uh, Zendikar Rising Purgatory. <laughs> I was going to say hell, but... <laughs> 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 yeah, I'm super, super excited. I did my full set review with uh, Alex, aka Quarter Calls, two days ago on my stream. That is grueling. I, I got to say, I'm glad that we don't do that on the podcast. It's tough. It's, it's like six, seven hours, card by card, every single one. That's a that's a tough slog for the content creators. Give some love out there. If you're consuming those card by card set reviews, give some love to the, the Marshalls and the Luises of the world. Heck yeah, I listened to it yesterday on my drive up and back from Indianapolis. So thanks, Marshall and Luis. Yeah. Um, so we do things a little differently here during preview season or whatever set review season. Um, we have actually graded all the cards individually, Ben and I have, and we'll have that in a spreadsheet for you to peruse wherever you download the show. Um, but we're going to be looking at stuff a little bit more big picture wise. We'll be looking at some stats in terms of how creatures in a removal lineup, in terms of maybe how frequently you'll see some of the mechanics or themes or payoffs, enablers, all that sort of stuff show up in the set. And then we will look at the cards that we've graded, but we'll only be looking at the cards where Ben and I had at least two gradations of difference. So if he gave something a C plus, I gave it a C minus. We're going to talk about that, hash it out, see if we can't convince the other person uh, to come to their side of the field there. And then we'll end the show by looking at our top three commons in each color and our top two uncommons in each color. It's an exciting time, Ben. I, I can't wait. I'm looking forward to it. Let's get going. Well, we do have some housekeeping stuff to take care of real quick here. I know people want to get into the crash course, but first things first, got to shout out the Patreon, patreon.com slash Lords of Limited. The show would really not be possible without the Patreon and the fine folks over there giving back to the show. Um, if you feel like the show is giving you something good, uh, helping you win some drafts, just really helping you, you know, make that long commute to work, whatever, uh, and you want to give back, that's the place to do it. Patreon.com slash Lords of Limited. A lot of great reward tiers there as well. Everybody gets access to the Discord. We say it every new set. That's the place to be when a new set comes out you want to be uh, on the ground floor of breaking open a new set that's the place to do it 24 7 limited tech support over in the discord and then as you move up the ranks you can get to a private section of the discord you can get access to the show notes in anticipation of the show you can even get monthly coaching sessions from me or ben all of that's available over on the patreon and of course we're going to shout out our new patrons each and every week that they join this week we are welcoming jan rusty wesley kyle miroslav ross christoph matt Francisco and Nathaniel. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We really appreciate your support. Yep. Cannot say thank you enough. Those folks know what's up. They're getting in new sets coming out. You should be too. Show is also brought to you in part by Channel Fireball, channelfireball.com. Best place to go for anything and everything you need magic related. Crimson Vow, as this is the crash course, is obviously coming out soon. And the CFB Marketplace has tons of sealed product on there. It's got singles if you need that. Everything's available for pre-order. So check it out. Channel Fireball Marketplace. MTG Las Vegas is also coming up November 19th through 21st. Not too late to book your travel plans to go there. Meet up with some big name magic celebrities. And whatever you do over at channelfireball.com, make sure you use code LOL, all caps, on checkout. All right, let's get into the crash course. First things first is the stats, baby. Looking at creatures and removal in the format. So we'll have uh, some stats here and compare them to some of the stats in mid, and then we'll look at how uh, creatures line up with removal as we move up the toughness ranking. So first things first, average creature power and toughness. 
for this format is 2.36 power and 2.73 toughness, which is effectively what we had in mid, a little bit bigger butts, which is not surprising given that butts and training exist in this format. Uh, in mid, it was 2.32 power and 2.56 toughness. So about a, I don't know, a quarter, maybe not even like 0.2 uh, increase in toughness there from Innistrad Midnight Hunt. Heck yeah, my 113 gluttonous ghoul friend pulling up that toughness average. <laughs> yeah, doing a lot of work there. The average cost of removal in the format is 2.84, and that's a significant bump up from Innistrad Midnight Hunt, which was 2.36, so almost half a mana more on average, which is a big step up. The removal is pretty clunky, I think, compared to mid. Yeah, for sure. And the average creature mana value is 3.2, and in mid it was 3.02, so a little bit of a bump there as well. So paying a little bit more for your creatures, paying a little bit more for your removal. Yeah, I do think though, just speaking to the removal broadly, there does seem to be about a premium removal spell that's pretty reasonably costed in each color though. So there is some good removal floating around. I don't know. Well, we'll, we'll talk about that in just a second. So first up, we want to look at how the creatures line up with the removal. So we're looking at what number slash percentage does specific removal hit. So there's a total of 109 creatures here at common and uncommon that we're counting. Um, there's also an artifact and an enchantment that flip into a creature. They're not here. And there's an XX creature in red that we're also not counting in here. We're also only taking into account the front sides. Man, will I be happy when we have <laughs> a set without these flip <laughs> creatures. It's, it's a lot to juggle for the stats course here. So uh, first bullet point. X1s, one toughness creatures, looks to be one spell in specific that hits those. That's end the festivities. Single red for a sorcery. It deals one damage to each opponent and each creature and planeswalker they control. We do have 22 creatures with toughness one in this format. So that's 20% of creatures are going to be hit by end the festivities. Right. And it's important to know that while this is the only spell that does one damage to things, there are other ways to punish X1s like tokens or even something like Doom Descender. So cards like that, 1-3s, anything that lines up well against X1s, specifically 2-1s, is also going to kind of punish those cards. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's interesting that there isn't like a, there's not a, like a 2-mana 3-1 at common that we usually see in white, and I think that's specifically because that would be maybe too busted with training. Um, but yeah, yeah, definitely a lot to look out for, and I think 1-3s is a good stat line as well. What's going on with X2s? X2s, we've got a boatload of removal spells here. Piercing Light is the first one. This is white for an instant, deals two damage to target attacking or blocking creature, and you scry one. Uh, there's Gift of Fangs, which is a single black aura. Uh, Enchanted Creature gets plus two, plus two, as long as it's a vampire. Otherwise, it gets minus two, minus two. We've got a Primo Red Removal spell in Flame Blessed Bolt. This is a red instant. Flame Blessed Bolt deals two damage to target creature or planeswalker. If that creature or planeswalker would die this turn, exile it instead. And a little mini sweeper in Vampire's Vengeance. We'll be talking about that a lot today. Two in red for an instant. Deals two damage to each non-vampire creature, and you make a blood token. So there are 31 creatures with toughness two, which gives us a total of half the creatures, 49% of creatures that those four removal spells are going to hit. Moving up to X3s. This is the real sweet spot here. A couple spells to look out for. The first is Parasitic Grasp. This is a cleave card. Ben, do you want to try out our cleave, our a podcast cleave suggestion? We can. <laughs> <laughs> it's really dead. It doesn't work. Alex and I tried it the other day. It's uh, it's not great. Um, so I think we'll probably pass on Ben reading the bracketed part and me reading the rest of the card. But we'll just say that Parasitic Grasp is effectively one black black deals three damage to target creature. You gain three life and then it has a cost reduction if you're targeting a human, right? One on a black if you're targeting a human. But three damage gain three is quite good. 
That's how I would prefer to do it, I think. The cleave cost and just read what it does and then go back and say what the conditions are if you don't cleave it. And it's awkward that that's the way to do it, I think. It's awkward. Or just read it like a split card, like one black black for this, one and a black for this. Yeah, um, for sure. And we'll, we'll figure it out. All right. Well, there's also a braid classic coming back here at common. One in a red for an instant. Deal three damage to target creature or destroy target artifact. And that's 31 creatures. And those two can target 31 creatures with toughness three, which brings us up to 84 total or 77% of all the creatures at common or uncommon. And we should say for folks who are new to the crash course, we are only in all of the categories that we're looking at today. Even when we get to the card gradings, we're only looking at commons and uncommons. We'll talk about rares in future weeks. All right, that takes us on to the X4s, where we have a one removal spell here that targets X4s specifically. Lacerate Flesh, four and a red for a sorcery, and it deals four damage to target creature. Create a number of blood tokens equal to the amount of excess damage dealt to that creature. Yeah, and there are 15 creatures with toughness four in the set, so that brings us up to 99 total, or 91% of all creatures. And then in the X5s, we've got a Rending Flame, another red premium removal spell here. This is two and a red for an instant. Rending Flame deals five damage to target creature or Planeswalker. If that permanent's a spirit, Rending Flame also deals two damage to that permanent's controller. Yeah, and only six creatures with toughness five, 105 total. That's 96%. So Rending Flame effectively killing just about everything in the set. That's a good place to be for a removal spell. Yeah, and then we, there's like three creatures with toughness six, and then, of course, as we alluded to, one with toughness 13. Um, and there are lots of just, you know, straight up kill a thing spells or effectively kill a thing spells. We have two other categories we want to look at here or two other removal spells that don't quite line up with, you know, power toughness. A circle of confinement, which is one on a white for an enchantment. When ETBs, you exile target creature and opponent controls with mana value three or less until circle of confinement leaves the battlefield. And then it has a little bit of vampire trinket text there. Uh, and that is going to be 69 out of the 109 total creatures or 63% have three mana value or less. We've also got a Valorous Stance coming back to this format. This is one and a white for an instant. You choose one, target creature gains indestructible until end of turn, or destroy target creature with toughness four or greater. There are 30 creatures that have toughness four or greater. So this is going to hit approximately 28% of creatures, but you know you also have that flexibility to give a creature indestructible, so Valorous Stance is still a really good removal spell. Yeah. So let's take a look at the removal a little bit more specifically. Uh, like I said, we, we are going to have this spreadsheet available to you where you download the show. Um, that's also going to have this removal tab here. We'll also have a combat tricks tab as well. So if you want to look at all the removal uh, that we have cited here, it's going to be in that tab. There are, I have 19 here. It's really 18 removal spells because we have one spell. There's a cleave spell in white that I didn't quite know how to like put into the spreadsheet. So I just put it as the two separate spells because I didn't, I didn't know what to do there. So uh, anyway, so there's 18 removal spells at common or uncommon. Uh, Midnight Hunt had 22. That's a pretty big reduction. I'd say 18 is probably on the lowest end we've seen since doing the crash course. Yeah, that sounds right to me. And the average cost that you're going to be spending on those 18 removal spells is 2.84. And so as a reminder, you know, we talked about that earlier. Innistrad Midnight Hunt was 2.36. So on average, you are spending half a mana more. And like we said, the removal is still on average cheaper than the creatures. But of course, that doesn't you know take into account like you know, what are the what are the, the good creatures that you'll be playing all the time. So, you know, if you've got those clunky four five and six drops, you know, bringing that up, you still may end up having a little bit of a reduction on your removal in terms of, you know, how it lines up with your opponent's creatures. Um, there are 12 removal spells at common, seven at uncommon. Midnight Hunt had 14 and eight, respectively. Here are some noteworthy things about removal. 
you know, we always have red and black dominating this, like taking up half the removal or whatever. Here we have red, black, and white dominating the removal department. Five spells in white, five spells in black, and seven in red. Blue gets nothing that I would classify as removal. You know, I, I did this section of the show notes. It's got a lot of stuff that we'll talk about in terms of interaction in, a, in just a second, but no, like, you know, we would count Revenge of the Drowned as removal because, you know, it one for ones with a creature um, or a claustrophobia effect, a like tap a thing, keep it tapped style thing. Doesn't really get anything like that. Dear listener, I would like you to know that the word nothing is capitalized aggressively in our show notes for blue getting no removal. It's remarkable, I think. You it know? Is. I just I just wanted to bring them in because I was I was grinning that nothing was all capitalized. Uh green with a fairly weak looking bite spell, you know, coming off of Midnight Hunt, we had both clear shot and duel for dominance as you know, uh, a powerful, uncommon bite spell, and then, you know, a fine, common fight spell. Only gets a, a fairly weak-looking bite spell at sorcery speed. And then no colorless removal, right? We had Silver Bolt, we've had, you know, Scalding Cauldron, those style of cards in the past. We're not getting that here. So it's really red, white, and black get to interact, and green and blue don't, really. And then things we're not counting as far as removal goes, there are some counter spells. Actually, there are a lot of counter spells in blue. First one up is Geistlight Snare. This is two and a blue for an instant. It costs one less to cast if you control a spirit. It also costs one less to cast if you control an enchantment. And you counter target spell unless its controller pays three. Uh, there's syncopate back X and a blue for an instant counter target spell unless its controller play, pays X. If the spell is countered this way, you exile it instead. We've also got siphon essence, two and a blue for an instant counter target creature or planeswalker spell, and then create a blood token. And lastly, there's wash away, which is an uncommon instant. Its cleave cost is one blue blue to counter target spell uh, and single blue if it wasn't cast from its owner's hand. So I guess, you know, if it's a disturbed card or whatever. That's a, an above average amount of counter spells. It is, yeah. So four counter spells. Blue also gets two bounce spells with Alchemist's Retrieval being the first one. Cleave cost of one and a blue to return target non-land permanent to its owner's hand or single blue if you're targeting a permanent you control. There's also Lunar Rejection, which has a cleave cost of three and a blue, which lets you return target creature to its owner's hand and draw a card. If you cast it for its normal cost, one and a blue instant, you can only target a wolf or a werewolf. So yeah, so four counter spells, two bounce spells, and it also has an aura spell, uh, fear of death, one and a blue enchant creature. When it ETBs, you mill two cards and enchanted creature gets minus X minus O where X is the number of cards in your graveyard. And this is a common, but this is not, it's just not removal, right? None of these cards I would classify as removal. I agree with that assessment for sure. And then moving on to white, we've got kind of an awkward tapper. This is Neville Gast Beguiler, four and a white for a two five spirit, and you can pay white to tap target creature. Your five mana two five is not what you want to be using as a tapper. No, that card is quite bad. So we didn't count that in white's removal. And then we didn't count these two cards that I would classify as sideboard cards. The first is Sanctify, one and a white sorcery, destroy target artifact or enchantment. You gain three life. And we've also got Crushing Canopy here, which is either destroy target creature with flying or destroy an enchantment. Yeah. Um, so that is the scope of the removal. And uh, I, I think it is pretty interesting that blue and green really just don't get ways to interact. Right. That is likely to be a significant player in the format and will be an issue for blue green decks, right? Yeah. Like blue green decks are going to have to splash, I would think. Well, luckily for them, there's a lot of ways to splash <laughs> in green. That's true. That's true. All right. Well, that's a great place to move us into keyword and archetype support. First up is blood tokens. Uh, to remind folks what blood tokens are, they are it's a new kind of artifact token where you can uh, 
pay one, tap, discard a card, sacrifice the token to draw a card. So a little like rummaging effect there effectively. Um, there are 20 cards in the set at Common or Uncommon that make blood tokens. One in white, one in blue, two colorless, and the rest are in red black. So this is a predominantly, you know, vampire-y red black mechanic six of those cards care about you sacrificing blood tokens and just to give you like a sense of some of them here uh what do we got going on ben we've got gluttonous guest two and a black for a one four when the center's the battlefield create a blood token and whenever you sacrifice a blood token you gain one life you got blood crazed socialite three and a black for a three three with menace etbs makes a blood token and whenever it attacks you can sacrifice a blood token and if you do it gets plus two plus two until end of turn We've also got Blood Hypnotist, two in a red for a 3-3. It can't block, and whenever you sacrifice one or more blood tokens, target creature can't block this turn. This ability triggers only once each turn. It's interesting that some of them give you an opportunity to sacrifice blood tokens outside of paying the activation and, and the costs in addition to that. Um, and I think those are going to be pretty darn good, like giving you an out to sacrifice it to the socialite or some other cards that we haven't listed here, um, I think is is potentially going to be good. I don't know how much how many blood tokens you'll be able to get, but I'm excited to see. This is a mechanic I'm very much looking forward to. Yes, 100%. And I'm especially looking forward to the black cards that make blood tokens because I think there's a lot of self-contained synergy in black just from looking at you know the full set list that I think is going to be able to bleed over into all the black color pairs then because it works so well with all the other black cards. And, you know, last week we we alluded to or thought there might be this like mini madness mechanic um, with that one card that was like a zombify effect. But if you discard it, it's a raised dead effect. Um, that's the only card of its kind in the set. So that's not really a thing. And so I was sort of disappointed about that. And then I saw Ryan Sachs tweet about like blood tokens are just a hand smoothing mechanic. And I was like, oh, right. You can just like have a way to make blood tokens and then and like keep a two lander and feel fine or keep a five lander and feel fine because you can pitch that and, and put gives you a place to put mana you know along the curve etc and that just really opened it up to me because i kept thinking about like well there's not flashback and like you really want to get value and it's just a good limited mechanic heck yeah it is all right that brings us on to Daybound and nightbound there are 10 total cards with day and nightbound on them all of them are red green and it's not a huge player in this format from what I've seen from looking at the spoiler. There's nothing that starts the cycle before turn three. So you're not going to be having any, you know, two drop busted uncommon werewolf starts. And because the day night cycle doesn't start until turn three, there's not really a possibility of casting your four mana value werewolves and then having them enter on the backside. Really, right? So turn five is the soonest that's going to be happening. And by then the game's already so far along that you're not really snowballing with your werewolves. Right. They'll like turn two obsessive astronomer, turn three pass, make it night, turn four, play your six, five or whatever. Like you're just not gonna be able to do that in this format. So I think you really want to evaluate the werewolves on their front side. And if you're happy with that, then you'll be happy to play the card. Otherwise, I think you're, you're gonna have to wait a little bit. Yep. Disturb is back, as we said, uh, nine total creatures are common or uncommon with Disturb. These all come back as auras. And, you know, we're not going to read any of these here. I think we'll, a lot of these are going to be showing up in our top commons lists. And I just want to reiterate here that these play really well with each other, right? They all grant abilities. So if the creature had flying, it's going to the aura is also going to grant flying or double strike or or lifelink. These play really well with each other, right? You're happy to suit up one with another or vice versa, right? Putting a lifelink aura on a flyer is great. Putting a flying aura on a lifelinker is great, etc. 
100%. Moving on to tribal considerations. We've got zombies back as a tribe. There are 16 total zombies at common and uncommon, and there's even a lord for them. Arch Ghoul of Thraben. It's two and a black for a 3-2 zombie cleric. Whenever it or another zombie you control dies, look at the top card of your library. If it's a zombie card, you may reveal it and put it into your hand. If you don't put the card into your hand, you may put it into your graveyard. Yeah, very, very cool. And then Blue Black has the sub-theme of exploit. There are seven total creatures with exploit. And, you know, Ben... I got to apologize to you. Our listeners don't know this, but you tried to bring up an interaction about exploit last week. And I was like, no, that's not how that works. And we were both we were both sort of half right. But I want to give you the floor here to talk about this other corner case with exploit. Yeah. So there's a thing that happens when you play an exploit creature where the exploit trigger goes on the stack. And what the exploit trigger says is, you know, when this creature enters the battlefield, you have the option to sacrifice a creature. So that triggers on the stack. And while that triggers on the stack, your opponent, you know, let's say I'm the person casting the exploit creature, my opponent has the option to maybe with instant speed interaction or removal of some sort, you know, kill or remove my exploit creature from the battlefield. If they do, I no longer get the benefit if I choose to sacrifice a creature. So it's really important that if you play an exploit creature and your opponent kills it in response to the exploit trigger going on the stack, you don't sacrifice a creature, right? Because then you're going to actually two for one yourself and not get any value. That exploit creature either has to sacrifice itself to itself to get the value, or it's got to be on the battlefield when you sacrifice another creature as that trigger resolves. We might have a zombie set 2.0 here after Midnight Hunt as well. Because when we look at <laughs> when we look at vampires, there's only 17 total vampires, right? And there, we just said there were 16 total zombies. Like, it's, <laughs> this is supposed to be the vampire set, right? Anyway, so we've got one at white, uh, one as the red-white signpost, one as the black-white signpost, and then the rest are in red-black. Uh, weirdly enough, none of these, like, care about vampires, right? There's no vampire lord or, like, gives another vampire whatever. Like, there's just, they're, they're just hanging out. They're just all hanging out together, but they don't actually like care about vampires. Some spells do. What do we got going on? First spell we've got is Markov Retribution. This is two and a red for a sorcery. You choose one or both creatures you control get plus one plus O until end of turn and target vampire you control deals damage equal to its power to another target creature. Uh, and then also the the mini sweeper we talked about vampires vengeance tuna red it deals two damage to each non vampire creature so that's a nice little payoff there but none of the creatures themselves are like caring about vampires humans there are a lot of humans running around on Innistrad thirty five total creatures are humans the majority of those thirty five are in green white where there are actually twenty two humans and I'm assuming there's going to be a lot of training going on there yeah. Yeah, so white green training, there are actually only six total creatures with training on them. Um, They're all either one or two power, so easily trained. There's also a plus one plus one counter sub theme in white green where there's only five other creatures in white green that can grant or gain plus one plus one counters. That's in addition to the six training creatures and about, I'd say, three ish payoffs for all of this for the training, for the counters, for the humans. First up is Cloaked Cadet. It's four and a green for a 2-4 with training. I guess we haven't said what training is yet this episode. That's whenever this creature attacks with another creature with greater power, you put a plus and plus one counter on this creature. And it says whenever one or more plus and plus one counters are put on one or more humans you control, draw a card. This ability triggers only once each turn. We've also got Laid to Rest. This is three and a green for an enchantment. Whenever a human you control dies, you draw a card. And whenever a creature you control with a plus one plus one counter on it dies, you gain two life. Looking at this card now with a little more of the full set context, you know, we kind of poo-pooed this a little bit last week and weren't sure if it was going to be good enough. 
I'm a little more excited about Laid to Rest. It looks like a card that is strong. Like if it's going to trigger off of like a third of creatures and maybe in, you know, green, white or green, red, it won't be hard to have the majority of your creatures be human. I'm still not sold on it myself, but I agree. It looks better than we thought last week. And last up, we have Sigardian Paladin. This is two green white for a 4-4 uncommon. As long as you've put one or more plus one plus one counters on a creature this turn, it has trample and lifelink. And you can pay one green white to have target creature you control with a plus one plus one counter on it, gain trample and lifelink until end of turn. So I'd say there's not a ton of ways to get plus one plus one counters. But if you do have that ability, there are some good payoffs for it. Yeah, makes sense to me. So that takes us on to some other themes. First one up of those themes is blue-green self-mill. We've got several payoffs here in Cobbled Lancer, Skywarp Scob, Moldgraft, Millipede. We're not going to read all of these cards, but just to give you an idea of the types of ways that you're going to get paid off for milling yourself, Skywarp Scob is three blue-blue for a 2-5 flyer, and whenever Skywarp Scob enters the battlefield, you may exile two creature cards from your graveyard if you do draw a card. And there's also Moldgraft, Millipede. This is four and a green for a two, two insect horror. When it ETBs, you mill three cards and then you put a plus one plus one counter on it for each creature card in your graveyard. And so already you're seeing a kind of tension here, right? Like both of these cards want to interact with the graveyard well, but one is like, hey, I want as many creatures in my graveyard as possible. And the other one is like, I do too, but I'm going to eat them when I come into play. Right. So the scobs, and this is, you know, a throwback to original Innistrad, right? There were creatures that you just couldn't even cast without exiling a creature card from your graveyard. Um, There really is tension between this idea of, yeah, I really want to get a lot of creatures in there, especially for the blue-green uncommon, like Vile Spawn Spider, right? Like this Mm -hmm. is blue-green for a 2-3 reach, the beginning of your upkeep, mill a card, and then you can pay four, tap, sacrifice it, make a 1-1 insect creature token for each creature card in your graveyard, activate only as a sorcery. Like, great, that looks like its own self-contained package, right? It's going to mill you, get the creatures in your yard, then late in the game you can sacrifice it to make six or seven insects. But if you play these blue scob creatures along with it, you're going to nab the creatures out of your graveyard to where this is only going to make two insects or something and then it's not going to be very impressive you know yeah and and also i think it's important to note that there's like there's nothing even close and i'm I'm sort of happy about this but there's nothing close to like organ hoarder or eccentric farmer in the format that's like you just load up on them and you can really you know have good incidental self mill like you know mulch is back which is a cool throwback one of the green sorcery revealed the top four cards of your library put all lands revealed this way into your hand and the rest into your graveyard it's like a good way to fuel your graveyard but that's not affecting the board at all you know so i don't know i'm a little dubious of blue green self mill right now yeah i am as well i am not dubious of this next theme we've got black white life gain i think this is my second favorite seated archetype so there's a big payoff in courier bat which is two and a black for a two two flyer and when it etbs if you gained life this turn return up to one target creature card from your graveyard to your hand so a two two flying gravedigger for three and i do not think it is going to be hard to turn this on no i think black white life gain looks very very good one of the things you want to look at when looking at these archetypes is okay so how many payoffs are there how many enablers are there but then what are the cards that do both right what are the things that gain like that also that simultaneously gain you life and care about gaining life. And I counted four different cards that fall in that category. So I'm really excited about this archetype. I think it's going to be quite well supported. Heck yeah. Next archetype, not so well supported, which is blue-red spells. There's 15 instants, eight sorceries in blue-red at common and uncommon, which is great. Like you need the spells. There just really aren't good payoffs in my opinion. 
Right. There are six creatures that care about casting non-creature spells in blue and red. You know, we talked about Whispering Wizard last week. That's the four mana three, two. Whenever you cast a non-creature spell, you make a one, one flyer, but it triggers only once a turn. There's also Wandering Mind, which is one blue red for a two, one flyer. And when it ETBs, you look at the top six cards of your library. You can reveal a non-creature, non-land card from among them and put it in your hand, put the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order. I mean, digging six is a lot like this is very, very often going to be just a straight up two for one. Um, but yeah, I'm not really seeing the, you know, there's no, no seize the storm, no thermo alchemists like those really felt like big payoffs, even festival crashers, like a lot of the stuff that cares about casting spells is higher up on the curve, which is awkward, right? Because you want those spells matters cards to hit the board first and then reap the rewards of trigger, 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 you know? Right. Yeah. Red has looked pretty weak to me just overall as a yes. color, you know, just it, as commons and uncommons and what they collectively do. And blue red especially has just looked very anemic because we get this theme every set, right? Or most sets, you know, blue red mm-hmm. is caring about spells and sometimes there's twists on it where it cares about drawing a card or whatever. And generally, I as a player gravitate towards that type of archetype. <laughs> and I am not excited about this at all. You know what archetype I am excited about? Ooh, me too. Black green butts, baby. Uh, So it's not like a a huge theme. It's sort of the wild thing. Um, When you say butts, that just means like, you know, this sort of toughness matters theme that black green has with, you know, ancient lumber, not as the signpost Two black green for a one for each creature you control with toughness greater than its power assigns combat damage equal to its toughness rather than its power. One of the great things about this, I forget if we mentioned it last week, is that this doesn't nerf your other creatures, right? Usually when you draft like, you know, a high alert variant in Ravnica Allegiance, you have to make some concessions of, well, I don't want to play this two mana two one or this, you know, three two or whatever because or this three one flyer because it's going to get nerfed by this. Well, Ancient Lumbernaut doesn't do that. Ancient Lumbernaut's like, hey, if your power is greater, you just stay the same. Yes, I have a bone to pick with you about our show notes here. Uh Uh-oh. You have maybe Flourishing Hunter. Flourishing Hunter is four green green for a six six. When it ETBs, you gain life equal to the greatest toughness among other creatures you control. This is busted in half, right? No, it's I don't I didn't mean the maybe here is not about Flourishing Hunter being a great card. I would never I I really want to stay friends with you. I would never insult a ravenous lindworm or honey mammoth variant. So the maybe is just is this it's not effectively a payoff. Like this is just a good card period. It's a good card, period. But I think in black green toughness, it's going to be absurd, right? Yes. Like this is the hero you need in this type of archetype so that you don't just die to your opponent's two and three powered flyers along the way. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And in terms of enabling this archetype, there are only really 11 total creatures in black and green at common or uncommon with toughness greater than their power. So I think we've sort of seen the standouts. You know, we had our Lord's Limited preview card in Catapult Fodder, which is another good payoff for the archetype. Um, there's the one for reach training, like this is going to overlap well with training as well. So, you know, I don't think this is going to be like a huge theme, but I am very excited about pack one pick one some ancient lumber knots. Okay, what does it say about both of us that we are very excited about this and other people don't seem to be like, this is all I want to do. And it looks powerful to me. Am I wrong about that? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. We'll have to see. Hopefully we'll be on the the right side of history here with uh, with liking this archetype. Whatever. Who needs the haters, Ben? We got each other. (laughs) 
All right, we have mentioned this earlier, but there is a lot of premium fixing in this format. So this is one of the things we always like to take a look at just to see how easy it might be to splash for green and how easy it's going to be for other colors. So green gets some serious goodies. First up is Reclusive Taxidermist. This is one and a green for a one, two, and it gets plus three, plus two, as long as there are four more creature cards in your graveyard. Great. You know, you want your mana dork to turn into a four, four later in the game. And it taps to add one mana of any color. Uh, common we've got two ways to double fix this is we haven't seen this in a long time ben so weaver of blossoms is two and a green for a two three it's a human werewolf it taps to add one man of any color that's the daybound side and nightbound it's a three four and taps to add two mana of any one color yeah that's a good one there's also nature's embrace two and a green for an enchantment aura enchant creature or land as long as enchanted creatures are permanent it gets plus two plus two and as long as Enchanted Permanent is a land, it has tap, add two mana of any one color. So this, like we said, this hasn't happened in, I think, years where we've seen effects like this. So normally Ben and I will say, like, when you're splashing, you can't splash a double pipped card. You can't splash something that's like some dragon in red that's four red red. Well, if you have three ways to double fix, you actually can, right? But that is what we talk about. Hey, you want three sources for one pip or whatever. Well, if you have three sources that can cast a double pip, you're in business. Yeah, and there are some colorless ways to fix outside of green as well. First of those is Foreboding Statue. Three mana for a 1-2. You can tap to add one mana of any color, and you put an Omen Counter on Foreboding Statue. At the beginning of your end step, if there are three or more Omen Counters on Foreboding Statue, untap it and then transform it. So essentially the third time you add mana, this is going to transform on your end step. And it turns into Forsaken Thresher, which is a 5-5. And at the beginning of your pre-combat main phase, you add one mana of any color. Yeah. And there's also Honored Heirloom, which is a three mana artifact. It's a mana lith, effectively. Th three mana artifact, taps add one mana of any color. But also a little graveyard hate here, two tap exile target card from a graveyard. I would say I'm impressed with the amount of fixing. Green looks great, and the fact that there's two colorless ones for other color pairs potentially is good. I am always happy when green's identity is, hey, I get to fix. Like, I think that's some one of the things green does best in limited. Um, green doesn't often get to be good at something in limited. Um, <laughs> and so I think, and I'm especially happy with the double pipped fixing as well. I think that's going to lead to some sweet brews. Next category is incidental life gain. And there is a lot running around in black and white, but there's not a ton outside of that. Yeah, green gets two beefy life gainers with Flourishing Hunter, which we mentioned already, and Bramble Worm, which is six and a green for a seven six at Uncommon with Reach and Trample. When it ETBs, you gain five life, and you can pay two and a green to exile it from your graveyard to gain five life. Love that card. Yeah, very, very strong. But like we said, so outside of that, you know, red and blue, and not that red and blue ever really get life gain, but um, there's there's a lot of incidental life gain. And, and the reason we point to incidental life gain in a format is to see how fast or slow it is. The more incidental life gain there is, the more difficult it is for aggressive decks to win, right? Because they're they're working backwards from 20. And when people on average are starting with, you know, 22, 24, 26 life, that can make uh, the aggro decks hard to close. All right. Sweepers is the next category. There's a couple mini sweepers. We've already talked about both of these. And the festivities is the red sorcery that deals one damage to each opponent and each creature and planeswalker they control. Vampire's Vengeance is the two and a red instant deal two to all non-vampire creatures. And then there's a super flavorful card here. Like, I don't normally care about that sort of thing. And I just love this card when I saw it. It's by invitation only. Three white, white for a sorcery. Choose a number between zero and 13. Each player sacrifices that many creatures. This, I, I, I'm really not, I, I think 
wraths and sweepers in general are not good in limited these days or just like are significantly worse than than they have been in the past especially with all the value that exists when when we had disturb and decayed you know i talked about this with vanquish the horde like you cast that and then your opponent goes cool falcon abomination and get back my uh bait hook angler from the graveyard and you're like wait why do you have three creatures didn't i just cast a wrath by invitation only is just so flexible you want to sweep the board great you have more creatures than your opponent Great, you just choose how many creatures they have and you're left with yours. They have more creatures than you? Great, you choose that number, sweep it up. Like, this is just such a good card. Or you have one insanely good thing. Like, you had to play your bomb out early. Like, right. let everybody stay with one creature. It's mm-hmm. very powerful. Uh, next up at rare, we've got Path of Peril. This is a sorcery. It's got cleave for four white black to destroy all creatures. Um, or you can pay one black black to destroy all creatures with mana value two or less. This is a little slow six mana sweeper is not where you want to be i don't think no toxrel the corrosive oh. is where you want to be this is five black black for a seven seven legendary creature slug horror at the beginning of each end step put a slime counter on each creature you don't control creatures you don't control get minus one minus one for each slime counter on them whenever a creature you don't control with a slime counter on it dies create a one one black slug creature token and you can pay blue and a black sacrifice a slug draw a card so what i didn't realize is that this said each end step. So by the time it gets back to your next turn, all of your opponent's creatures will have minus two, minus two counters on them. Yes, this card's redonkulous. <laughs> yeah, this card's ridiculous. That's the black sweeper you want. All right. Mana sinks is another category we look at. Um, just to take a look at how easy it's going to be to spend your mana. You know, once you've done your things, you know, you've played your hand out, are there places to put your mana to get continual value? First and foremost, blood tokens, baby. Right. Hopefully you're going to have some of those floating around and maybe you've got some excess lands in your hand. You can pitch those excess lands and cash them in for actual cards. Yeah. Disturb as well as a good mana sink. Not like a repeatable place to put mana, but a, a nice, you know, two for one way to like curve out whatever. Um, and so those nine commons or uncommons are going to be really strong. There's also Child of the Pack. This is the red, green, gold uncommon. Uh, it's two red green for a two five human werewolf and it has the activated ability two red green make a two two green wolf creature token and then it's got daybound on the back side you know uh, presumably you're flipping this by using its activated ability to make a two two wolf creature token and the back side is savage packmate five five trample other creatures you control get plus one plus oh yeah and then past these like past blood tokens disturb and child of the pack there are a handful of repeatable places to put man on the format but they aren't great i listed whatever half a dozen here in our show notes i don't think these are really worth reading so i think those are your primary i think blood tokens and disturb are your primary places that you're going to be putting mana and last category before we get into our gradation differences here is flying and flying hate this looks pretty typical here there are 14 creatures in total of flying and then past that there are two that transform into flyers and three that can make one one flyers all of those cards are esper which is totally normal except for one red white and one blue red signpost on commons which again nothing crazy out of the ordinary in terms of flying hate we already talked about crushing canopy being in the set the two and a green destroy target creature the flying but like this is not a main deckable card um, and then there's three creatures with reach, two in green, one blue green, and then one trick in green. So we've talked about Vile Spawn Spider as the blue green signpost uncommon. We talked about Bramble Worm as the seven six uncommon. That's not really like a creature that I'm reach on that creature is the last thing that I care about. But it's so <laughs> like, good, right? Because it's going to stabilize you so hard. That is a big part of why that card's good. It's good, but five life also stabilizes. Five life and a seven six trample also stabilizes. Sure. Uh, There's Apprentice Sharpshooter. That's two and a green for the one four reach with training. 
And then we've got one trick in Witch's Web, one on the green for an instant target creature gets plus three, plus three, gains reach until end of turn, untap it. Where, where, where are my red reach creatures? Where I need these bullet points for the 50 takes episode, Ben. <laughs> yeah, we need those easy takes. Come on, wizards. All right, that takes us on to our gradation differences, right? So we graded the cards separately and anywhere where we've got a gradation difference of two or more. So like a, you gave something a C minus and I gave it a C plus, uh, we will talk about why we disagree on the card and try to come to a consensus. So, and worth noting that we haven't talked to each other about the set yet, right? These are our, our first reactions to each other. So let's get into our grading scale. We use the limited resources grading scale. Um, it's classic, no reason to go away from it. A's are your bombs, your game winners, good in many situations, especially when you're behind. Best cards in the set, bomb rares, and hyper-efficient removal spells. Some cards like Adeline Resplendent Cathar, Consuming Blob, and Ren and Seven. B's are strong cards that pull you into a color, make you want to play that color, reasons to be in a particular color or combination of colors. These are the best commons and good uncommons. Cards like Organ Hoarder, honestly, Organ Hoarder, bump that baby up to A-. Uh, ambitious farmhand, <laughs> morbid opportunist, cards like that. You haven't listened to limited resources, have you? No, I haven't. Why? LSV said exactly that same thing about organ hoarder on limited resources. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> your C's are your solid playables. The meat and potatoes of any limited deck, very interchangeable, average creatures, and normal removal spells. Cards like Candle Grove Witch, Bird Admirer, and Burn the Accursed. D's, these are sometimes playable, below average, 22nd, 23rd type cards, like, you know, definition of replaceable, uh, unruly mob, brimstone vandal, devious cover up. Your F's are your unplayables, cards you should never put in your deck or really weird rares, cards like stuffed bear or curse of silence. Yeah. And then we've got a couple like, you know, augmentation grades or whatever. Um, I guess sideboard cards is the first. Uh, these are cards that don't make the main deck, but when you board them in can be quite good. Cards like Plummet or Return to Nature. We're, we're definitely with with best of one Bob working at R&D these days. We're seeing less and less <laughs> of these style of effects. Yes. Next is build around cards, cards that don't do much on their own, but when you build around them can be good to great. Cards like Geist Flame Reservoir, Ominous Roost, or Seize the Storm. Uh, and lastly, we've got synergy cards. So a slight difference of build arounds are cards that aren't like strong enough to build around, but provide good synergy if they're in the right deck. So Festival Crasher or Shipwreck Sifters, right? Not like strong reasons to draft a Spells Matter deck. Well, you can make the argument for Crasher. Not the reason to draft a Disturbed deck. But once you're in a Disturbed deck, holy cow, is Shipwreck Sifters like, you know, one of the best cards you can see. Yes. All right. That's going to bring us to our gradation differences. Honestly, it's, it's sort of interesting. We don't have a ton of gradation differences. I think that's partially just like the this set is not that dissimilar, it looks like, from Midnight Hunt. And so I think we sort of understand the landscape a little bit better um, going into this set. And so I think we're more likely to be on the same page as a result. But we do have still some cards to talk about. And then, oh boy, our top three commons and top two uncommons are we're all over the map here. So for white, we actually only have one card to look at, which is Arm the Cathars. This is one white white for a sorcery. Until end of turn, target creature gets plus three, plus three. Up to one other target creature gets plus two, plus two. And up to one other target creature gets plus one, plus one. Those creatures gain vigilance until end of turn. I gave this a C. You gave this a D plus in set review fashion. I, as the higher grade person, I will try and talk you up on this card. I don't generally like um, whatever these these style of effects, the like mass pump spells in white, like plus two, plus one to everybody, whatever. This is pretty powerful. I recognize you can't use it on blocks because it's a sorcery, but it does help you on blocks because it grants vigilance in terms of like, you know, you get to crack in for a bunch and then still have your creatures on blocks. 
And this helps out enable some training attacks or some good training triggers. And this is just a lot of power and toughness. I mean, I, I don't know. I think I think in a white aggressive deck, this is strong. Yeah, I'm sold on it more in the context of training, I think. What you mm-hmm. said there, like the fact that you're going to be able to set up maybe a training attack where your creatures have vigilance, and then maybe, you know, you've still got your 3-6 reach or whatever that got a training counter on it, still back on blocks. I think it is going to be really good specifically in the training deck, and I'll come up to see with you. All right, great. Wow, that was a very civil conversation to start this off. What's going on in blue? In blue, we've got Chill of the Grave. This is two in a blue for an instant. Costs one less to cast if you control a zombie. Tap target creature. It doesn't untap during its controller's untap step. And you draw a card. You give us a C plus. I give us a C minus. So we've seen this kind of effect before, right? Crippling Chill, two in a blue. Tap a thing. It doesn't untap. Draw a card. Yes. At instant speed, this is quite powerful i think right you can effectively remove a creature for two turns and it cantrips and if you get the cost reduction that's really strong i mean this obviously has a neonates rush uh vibes to it in that sense of like cost reduction instant speed cantripping i don't know i think uh i think i'm pretty interested in this kind of effect in blue decks yeah i don't know about c plus i would definitely come up to c i think maybe i was already on the wavelength of hating on blue red spells so i just didn't care about this but it's also just a good card right i think it's just a good card yeah right i'll come up to c i don't know if i'm quite c plus on it but i could definitely see it getting there all right i'm very interested about this next one so we've got siphon essence this is two and a blue for an instant counter target creature or planeswalker spell create a blood token so i gave this a c plus you gave this a d plus I was grouchy when I was grading cards, apparently. <laughs> uh, yeah, usually I'm lower in the in the grading department than you are. Yeah, I guess I, I think... So the knock against this is that this doesn't counter spells, right? The way that Flip the Switch could. Obviously, the, the comparison here is Flip the Switch, right? They're your three-mana counter spell that makes the, the token of the set. But I do think that like in the late game, Flip the Switch sometimes was dead because people could pay four. Um, so I like that aspect of this. And most of the stuff that you want to counter in limited, especially if we think, you know, blue red spells isn't that good. The stuff you want to counter in limited is creatures. And I think getting a blood token is pretty darn good. I don't love it. I don't think the blood token is anywhere near as good as decayed zombie tokens were. I think in, in my my pitch to you would be, I think you're thinking flip the switch was good. This looks like flip the switch. Ergo, siphon essence is good. And I just don't think that's going to be the case. I don't think blue decks are going to be holding up mana. The best blue decks to me look like they're going to be playing to the board and exploiting. That's what I see blue doing really well when I look at the commons and uncommons. And so I am not, and especially combined with the fact that the blue red looks pretty anemic and all of the spells payoffs for the most part just want to pump creatures on your own turn. I don't really see this having a great home. Yeah, I could if there's not like if you're not doing this with the draw four or whatever, or like not draw four, but you know, look at the top four, draw two of them, put the other two in the graveyard spell. Um, I think that's scattered thoughts. Uh, yeah, I, I could see your point, and I do agree that the best blue stuff looks to be zombies and exploit. So maybe this isn't that good. I do think a blood token tacked onto this is. I don't know. I don't want to say as good as the decayed zombie token. I, I think blood tokens are going to be very, very good and limited. And so that excites me quite a bit. But yeah, I, I could definitely see if you're not passing with mana up that much, then sure, this gets a lot worse. All right. Our gradation differences are about to become real here. Let me ask you this. Is 
siphon essence like a C. Like it, this is not like the 15th through 20th card in your deck, right? This is a 20th through 23rd type card. No? No, that's what I'm saying is I think it's good. That's why oh. I gave it a C plus. I thought you were going to be like, yeah, you're right. I'm not going to no. have multiple copies of this in my deck. <laughs> nice try, Ben. Dang it. Uh, next up, it's um, it's interesting to hear. You don't think spells are good. I guess you think exploit is good. This card, this card seems weird to me. Repository scab. Three and a blue for a 3-3 three, three zombie with exploit when it exploits a creature you can return target instant or sorcery card from your graveyard to your hand so i i said c minus you went c plus talk me up on this yeah i love this card i think it's super powerful right there's a bit of tension between wanting creatures to sacrifice and then wanting a spell to rebuy but you're gonna have some number of removal spells in your deck presumably you're gonna have a card draw spell and all you need is one good spell in the graveyard before repository scob is backbreaking you know when you exploit something so assuming you have your deck built to exploit which i think most blue decks will want to do i think this is a really really strong card i don't know I, I don't see it and i don't like when i can't curve into my four drops like it's a lot you have to have a creature in play and a spell that you want to get back for you to curve into this Right. Yes, there is significant setup cost. I agree. But I think blue, I, I'm not counting the having a creature in play necessarily as a setup cost, because I think if you're not building your deck to where you can easily exploit as a blue deck, you just are building blue wrong for the most mm. part. Mm-hmm. And so like that part of it is not setup cost to me. So then at that point is just like this is four mana, three, three rebuy a removal spell or something. And like so if you take the exploit cost away from it, are you more excited about this card? If it's a hill giant that rebuys a spell, heck yes, I am. Right. So that's where it's at in my head. And maybe I'm wrong about that. But that's the lens I'm viewing the card through, which is why I've got it at a C plus. Okay. I mean, if that's how it is, then yeah, that's a C plus for sure. I just feel like it's a lot of setup cost. But I, I, I really look, listen, folks, Ben's done his homework. He's like, this is how I foresee blue decks playing out. And as a result, blah, you love to see it. Yeah. Next up, we've got Sky Warp Scob. This is this is three blue blue for a two five flyer. When it ETBs, you can exile two creature cards from your graveyard. If you do, draw a card. Yeah, I guess I'm just too low on this. I give this a C minus. You gave this a C plus. I think just this this is just good stats, period. It's really good stats. Like a five mana two five flyer is not embarrassing. And then I think, you know, you're not going to be doing this multiple times over the course of the game. And presumably this is whatever, a green blue card, right? Where you're milling yourself and then you can play these and you can draw your card. But this is just a good card in a blue deck, especially if you see blue decks as exploiting, which I do. Mm -hmm. Like, I think you're happy with a copy or two of this at the top of your curve. I think I agree. I'm I'm coming up to C plus with you. Boom. This last card, my goodness, uh, Dreadlight Monstrosity is four blue blue for a five five crab horror with ward two. You can pay three blue blue to make it not be able to be blocked this turn, but only activate if you own a card in exile. I gave this a D. You gave this a C. This card is bad. I don't like to use the B word. This card is bad. (laughs) I have a confession to make, Ethan. I stopped reading after it can't be blocked this turn. (laughs) I thought you might have. (laughs) Okay. That's unfortunate. Come on down to D. Uh, I'm going to go D plus, but I will come down with you. Great. I just have a soft spot for giant serpents that can't be blocked after Gear Seeker Serpent. I know, but Gear Seeker Serpent could like cost like two mana. But it was still good sometimes even when it costed six. But then you have to have the thing in exile, so you have to have the disturb stuff. I don't know. There's a lot going on there. Yeah, there's a lot. All right, that's going to move us on to black. 
Only common we want to talk about here is Blood Fountain. Single black for an artifact when ETBs make a blood token, and you can pay three and a black, tap, sack it to return up to two target creature cards from your graveyard to your hand. I said C minus, you gave it a D. I honestly could say C for this, but like it's it's the kind of card where you don't need to pick it highly, but every black deck wants a copy of this. I think you're going to be sad when you're in black and you end a draft and you don't have this in your pile. Yeah, it's clunky. I agree. You want a copy in most of your black decks. So I think we're saying the same thing with different grades. I just don't feel like you're going to need to pick it highly, I guess. It's going to play out more on C power level, but I don't think you're yes. picking it like a C. Right. So I think we are saying different things. I don't I take umbrage, good sir, with you giving this the C word clunky. This is not clunky. This is just great. Plop this in along the curve at any point. Makes a blood token, which is awesome. You can even use that blood token to pitch one of the creatures that you're going to get back later. And then return. Like, this is good value. This is almost a three for one. I think clunky in the sense that when you compare it to Crawl from the Cellar, like that was one mana, right? So you could raise dead and then recast your creature in the same turn and then get your two for one. Like after you had already kind of stabilized on the board. This is slow but maybe clunky is the wrong yeah it's It's slow slow. it's mana intensive i agree i agree with that for sure um but i yeah i i think this is not replaceable i think every black deck wants this yes all right that takes us on to red first common up is end the festivities this is red for a sorcery deals one damage each opponent and each creature and planeswalker they control you give us a d plus i give us a sideboard so I, you know, I think we're probably saying similar things with these grades. The reason I wanted to talk about this card is a sort of like broad, I don't know, theory crafting thing that I want to float your way here and see what you think is that I think cards like End the Festivities go up in value and or or are, you know, more main deckable with blood tokens floating around. Like the more you have ways to, you know, smooth your hand or pitch stuff or dig towards stuff, the more a card that's situational but powerful, I think, goes up in terms of something I want to include in my deck. Yeah, that holds water with me. I agree that this could be main deckable if you've got blood tokens because then you can pitch it when it's not good. And when it is good, right. you're very happy to have access to it. Exactly. I still think it only hitting 20% of creatures or whatever. Well, I and don't know. Yeah, and especially like if we're thinking about it in terms of blood tokens, like, oh, it's very good. But like, it's only good early, right? When your opponent goes whatever x1 x1 and then you're haha two for one you like you can't really like wait for this effect like turn seven this once you are once it gets to that point in the game like killing off a couple two ones doesn't really do anything yeah i don't love this but i do love the idea that you should be main decking more situationally powerful cards the more blood tokens you have access to yeah okay cool that that was the reason i wanted to talk about that card all right lacerate flesh is up next this is four and a red for sorcery it deals four damage to target creature and then you make a number of blood tokens equal to the amount of excess damage you dealt to that creature i gave this a c you give us a d this just looks like a fine removal spell right aren't c removal spells the definition of like you maybe slightly overpay a little bit that still gets the job done yeah but this is so bad five mana deal four sorcery speed I really I think that I think I am hoping to not play this card in my red decks. That's why I gave it a D. Well, it hits what what would we say? 80% of creatures, something like that. Yeah. And then, you know, when you are forced to use it to trade down on mana, you're getting the buffer of the blood tokens and it pays you back a little bit. I don't know. I kind of like this card. It's not great, but I think it's serviceable. Are you ever going to end a draft and go, man, I wish I had a lacerate flesh in my deck? Probably not. Probably right, not. That's fine. why I think it's that's why I think it's low. 
Yeah. Ooh, I, plus, I, I, I really I'll, wish I'll I had down. wish I had started by saying, "Let me ask you this." That would have really <laughs> hammered it home. Now, last uh, <laughs> comment we want to look at here is Pyre Spawn. You love these clunky big boys. Pyre Spawn is four red red for a six four elemental. When it dies, it deals three damage to any target. I gave the, again. I gave this a D. You said C minus. I mean, we think the exact same thing about this card. It's big and it's kind of awkward. Like this is playable though. Like it's a it's a fine card. See, this is why I, I mean, I know nobody liked or only a few people liked the R's, the five R's. That's why I liked it, because I, I do feel like we're kind of saying the same thing. It, this is replaceable, right? Yes, completely 100 percent replaceable. So we're just we are saying the same thing. It's just I'm I'm put relegating replaceables to the D territory and you're relegating them to C minus. Yeah, I mean, and this is where like this is just a holdover from and maybe magic has just shifted beyond this, but I think it's more of a holdover from like vanilla test style greeting, right? Like mm-hmm. six, four is a magic card that you're going to be able to attack and block with, like, which is why I gave it a C. And sometimes this is going to be a huge threat for the opponent, but it's not really anything important to any limited deck in the modern era of limited, right? Right. So, so it's like, which it's, is, which is why you gave it a D and, and that's where my C minus grade is coming from. And I think we both intellectually know that I just am like holding over from the prior, card grading skills i learned i guess yeah no it makes sense that's why that's why i wanted to just you know hash it out there a little bit yeah so i'll join you at d if that's what we're going to do with that style of card moving forward usually i do do that and i've kind of stopped i don't know why you were something you switched halfway through grading cards and you were feeling optimistic yeah there we go next up we've got ballista watcher this is moving on to red uncommons this is two red red for a four three you can pay two in a red tap deal one damage to any target and it's got Daybound. On the backside, you have two in a red, deals one damage to any target, unlimited numbers of times, and a creature dealt damage this way can't block this turn. I gave us a B, you gave us a C plus. This looks like a super powerful card to me. So 4-3 for two red red, fine stats, and then it preloaded comes with the activated ability to you know let you do this, maybe ping off an opponent's X1, flip it into a 5-5, five five, and then once this is flipped... It is going to win the game in a hurry. Yeah, it's f- funny. Like I was higher on this than Alex, and you're higher <laughs> than it uh, on it than I am. Um, so it's like B for you, C plus for me, C minus for Alex. I, I, Alex did sort of convince me that the front side is not great in my mind. Four mana for a four three is uh, yeah. You said fine stats. It's I, you know you'd like it a lot more if it was a three four. Two and a red tap deal one is that's a lot of mana to just you know pick off something or add you know you know this is a, this is an expensive pinger i agree that the backside is good a five five and then being able to you know let's say you get to turn six and you can do this twice either to pick off an x2 or make two things not be able to block and you just win that's powerful but i'm not so pumped about the front side here i mean i, I like the card fine it's a c plus but i don't look at it and go this makes me want to draft red sure well and i think red looking bad yeah. makes this card even worse right so i think Mm -hmm. you're going to pick cards of other colors that you want to get into more frequently if red pans out to be as bad as we're expecting so i'll join you at c plus oh wow my god it just happened okay i I mean i think the card is powerful in a vacuum but i think when you start to look at it in other things like i just am am not as jazzed about the card uh moving on to green we've got rural recruit it's three and a green for a one one with training. And when it enters the battlefield, you create a three one green boar creature token. Uh, I give this a D plus. You gave this a C. Yeah, I mean, this looks fine to me in a training deck, right? You get two bodies. You get a three one and a one one. 
The boar is going to help enable your other training creatures, maybe going to trade with something. So this is effectively when it attacks a 2-2 and a 3-1. Maybe it's going to grow more. You have combat tricks. It snowballs. I don't know. This seems fine to me. I'm taking a page out of my dear friend Ben Warney's book, and I'm just saying that like your four mana value stuff, it's got it's got to do more than this. Yeah, you're right. It's got to push damage. It's got to be better than a one one and a three one. It's just it has to. That Ben Warney guy sounds smart. All right, he's a C smart plus. guy. Yeah, I'm excited for you to make a case for this next card. What's going on with Spiked Ripsaw? Yeah, this is two in a green for an equipment. Equipped creature gets plus three, plus three, and it has an equip cost of three. Whenever equipped creature attacks, you may sacrifice a forest. If you do that, creature gains trample until end of turn. You give us a D, I give us a C plus. This is plate armor, right? This is plate armor. No. <laughs> it just <laughs> oh laughs in my face. Wow. Plate armor is the comparison. Plate armor could could equip for like zero in a format where equipment mattered. But there were also just games where plate armor equipped for three, and because your creatures were huge, your opponent died, right? Like, th- put this on, you know, my 6-6 six, six card that gained me some life, and it's a 9-9 nine, nine trample. How do you like them apples? <laughs> just, well, all I say is, like, you already had a 6-6. Six, six. Like, wh- what do you need a 9-9 nine, nine for? But I, now I have a 6-6 six, six wielding a spiked chainsaw. <laughs> <laughs> I think... Your your plate armor comparison is perhaps not as ridiculous because so my comparison or my thought about this initially was um, the like mask of grizzle brand because that was a three man equipment that cost three to equip in the last set and I thought that card was like quite clunky I would give that the the C grade just like it's just a lot to like not affect the board and then you could you often like could just blow that out I do think the removal being worse in this format and less plentiful makes this a bit more appealing and i do think you're right like plus three plus three and then the possibility of trample in the late game on your your chonkers i'm gonna move up i'm gonna move up out of d and maybe not c plus but i'm gonna go c yeah like this is this is a powerful effect like yeah you're right yes it is blowoutable yes it is whatever but there's going to be times your opponent plays a spike ripsaw or you play a spike ripsaw and the other player is just going to go Oh, crap, you know? Yeah. Like, yep. it's a powerful card. No, you're right. You're right. And, uh, and I'm going right. to agree. Sneak peek, true confession time. What? Like, well, I grade this separately from Ethan and Alex here. And I initially gave this a B. <laughs> I saw your grade. <laughs> I toned it down a little bit. B. Stand proud, Ben. <laughs> Get your Bs out there. All right, moving on to the gold cards. We got one to talk about. That's Child of the Pack. We already mentioned this before. Two red green for the 2-5. Has an activated ability of two red green to make a 2-2 wolf. That's day bound, night bound. It's a 5-5 trample that gives other creatures you control plus one plus oh. I gave this a B. You gave this a C. Yeah, I don't like this card much. Tell me where you're at on it. Well, I like that it's a mana sink. I guess my real thought is like, I am not hoping to draft a red green deck. I think most of the time in this format, but this is a very splashable card. Um, and I think it is a good splashable card. I don't know. Four mana, two, five holds the ground. Well, it's a mana sink in the late game and then it flips. It's pretty insane. Five, five trample buff your other creatures. That's very powerful. I don't know. Maybe it's just like maybe the red green deck isn't desirable or anything, but on raw power, I think this is this is a B. This feels like a strong card pulls me towards wanting to play it. Well, I think here are my thoughts. We've seen that it is difficult to keep at night, right? So I, I don't think it is going to be often that you are easily attacking with a 5-5 five, five after you flip it. And I think four mana, mana sync to make a 2-2 two, two is is appealing to our limited player brains, right? It's mm-hmm. value, you know, we're mana sync. All those things are good for limited. I just don't think that's what 
magic decks are trying to do these days, right? You know, we've been talking about holdovers. Like, I think giving this card a B is a holdover from a past era of grading limited Mm -hmm. cards. I think this is not how you're winning a game of magic, spending four mana every turn to make a 2-2. You know what I mean? Like, so compare compare Child of the Pack to... Um, our friend Ballista Watcher, right? The It's a similar style of card, and you are not particularly excited about the Ballista Watcher. Well, I do. I prefer a 2-5 to a 4-3. I think 4 mana to make a 2-2 two, two is better than 3-tap deal 1. So, I mean, I, I see the comparison there, but I, I like all of the things that Child of the Pack does better than Ballista Watcher. Isn't the backside of Ballista Watcher better? I don't know. 5-5. Five, five, so they're both 5-5s. Five, this has Trample, and this buffs the other creatures that gives you another place to put mana i I don't know i think they're if one is better than the other they're close i guess doesn't ballista watcher just win when it flips like you make two of their creatures unable to block you could say the same thing about child of the pack like i don't know what what are we arguing about here i don't know i just don't think child of the pack's great that's fine i think your assessment of this being a holdover grade for me is probably apt um but I and and you know maybe red green just isn't that good and maybe splashing this isn't that good. I think that idea of like this just isn't how you win games of magic these days is probably true. So I I could bump this down to like C plus. Okay, makes sense. Colorless, we've got a few things to take a look at here. Blood Servitor is up first. You give us a C, I give us a D. Blood Servitor is three mana for a two two construct when ETBs make a blood token. Yeah. I, I don't know, maybe I'm too high on blood tokens. This feels, I, I gave this, I think obviously this plays out as, you know, whatever, or you have to draft this maybe not that highly, but I gave this kind of a bump because it's colorless. And so I think it's going to feel like a flexible pick or like something that you're happy to take, you know, picks, whatever, five through eight, thrilled to take it on the wheel, et cetera. Like maybe it's a C minus or something. I get a little closer, but I think a 2-2 body along with a, a blood token is pretty good. This looks super low impact to me, and I think the decks that care about blood tokens have way better ways to make blood tokens than a blood servitor. That would be my case. But blood tokens are just good, period. You don't need to care about blood tokens. Sure, that's great, and I agree, like a red-black deck probably doesn't need to take this, but then, but other decks want blood tokens too, because it's just a good card. Yeah, but is a 2-2 for 3 enough? of a body to care about the blood token part of it i guess that's where i'm not sold like in whatever your blue x deck like do you really care about the tutu enough but it does being colorless sell you at all are you not like man this is like it's just a flexible draft pick yeah but it's not good enough to where you're picking it early and like getting power from hashtag delay the decision right no, well, yeah, I guess I guess not. I'll go down to C minus. Like this is a this is a clunky card that you're playing in your 22nd or 23rd type slot. Like there's no world where you're excited yeah. to play Blood Servitor because if you're excited about it, you really care about the blood token. And if you really care about the blood token, you've got better cards to make blood tokens. That's my case. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. All right, all right. D plus. If I use my own argument of if I end a draft and I don't have this, am I sad? No, never. No, never. Yeah. Ooh, I'm excited to chat about Boarded Window. <laughs> this one's this, hard. This one's hard. So this is three mana for an artifact at Uncommon. Creatures attacking you get minus one, minus O. At the beginning of each end step, if you were dealt four or more damage this turn, exile Boarded Window. You talk about flavor. Like, the, the flavor of this is very cool. I don't usually care about that. Um, but this is very cool. So I gave this a C plus. You gave this an F. Now, I was certainly, I think, coerced. By our dear friend Alex, who is quite excited about this card. But let's just, just to, to briefly set the stage here. If you've never played with a minus one minus O effect before from 
like on the like it's some something like this that does minus one minus so to your opponent's creatures always plays out better than it looks now the fact that you can't attack into stuff i think does knock this right the fact that this only nerfs your opponent's attacking creatures is a, a big problem and certainly if there's like a go tall theme certainly like blue white is sort of alluding to that with the enchantments whatever then this gets worse but like nerfing all of your opponents like two power and three power creatures is quite strong so i I think unplayable is it's i definitely don't think this is unplayable okay so here's my case okay when this is only good on defense right yes so this is this is doing stone nothing if you are an offensive deck so you're you're never putting it in a deck that wants to attack. So this is only going in a control deck. Do you think that's true? No, because that don't you like you also face decks that are trying to attack too as an aggressive deck. I guess, but you're never going on offense while this card is on the battlefield. No, why not? You can race. Like like it makes it so your opponent can't race you. But if they deal you four damage, this goes away, right? So you have to be able to block enough of their creatures to not take four. Sure, it's ve- I mean, it's it's kind of hard. Man, yeah, they got to get to the late game. Like even if they go even if you have stone nothing on the board and they go like two drop, three drop, you play this, they're not dealing you four damage. I guess right? that like they is have, They have true. to use a combat trick to push and then you're one for oneing. So like, I, I don't think this is an F. I don't know, man. Like <laughs> this, this it feels like what the name of the card is. It feels like a boarded window. This card feels like a stopgap that is not actually accomplishing anything if you are losing the game. I feel this is a really hard card to evaluate, I think. And I think it'll become clear once we see it in play how good or not good it is. Um, but I'm optimistic about it. I, I would buy that I could be wrong. It's very difficult <laughs> to evaluate. Yeah. I am not excited about the fact that if you're losing, this does not stop you from losing anymore. It do- Wait, it does, though. <laughs> It really doesn't. Not if you're like losing, losing. Like if you don't have a two drop, if you don't have a two drop and this is your first play on turn three, are you happy about that? Probably. That seems like a great way to not lose the game. I guess. Like what? You're like, well, if you're losing hard, this doesn't do anything. Most cards don't. I guess it stacks super well with itself also, right? Sure. Multiples. How are you ever losing the game? All right. I'm I'm probably wrong. It's not unplayable. Yeah. It's not unplayable. your your point about like not including it in aggressive decks makes sense to me, but like not every deck is an aggressive deck, you know? All right, I'm in. All right, the last card we're going to talk about is Foreboding Statue. This is three mana for a 1-2 artifact creature construct. It taps to add one mana of any color, and then you put an omen counter on it. And at the beginning of your end step, if there are three or more omen counters on Foreboding Statue, you untap it, then transform it. Oh, I missed that untap part. Yeah. And that transforms into... Oh, Please. <laughs> Transforms into Forsaken Thresher. It's a 5-5 five, five at the beginning of your pre-combat main phase. Add one mana of any color. Uh, I gave this a C minus. You gave this a B minus. Talk to me. This card looks great to me. So, I, like, you would prefer if this cost two mana, right? Three mana on Mana Dork is a little less exciting. But I think the fact that it fixes and ramps is big game. And then the fact that after you get your third counter on it, it untaps and is a 5-5 five, five blocker. I think this is exactly what you want from your Mana Dork. I just think it's so slow and like I would rather this be skittering surveyor like where I just got the land and then I got the two for one and I didn't need to worry about like protecting this little body. I just feel like the common mana rock is better with like, hey, they can't mess with it. Like, I don't know if I care about this becoming a five, five in four turns. 
A three mana five five? In four turns. But it's not like it has suspend though, right? You're using the mana to cast other spells. I agree that it's slow, but I think it is slow in the way that you want your mana dork to be slow, right? You want to use your mana dork a little bit, ramp you, play a five drop, play a six drop, and then boom, like this is a five five? I don't know. It seems good to me. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, like, and I, my, I guess my other question is like, what decks want this that aren't green? And then it's competing with the green werewolf, which I think is better. I think that is probably true. So like, I mean, to do what you're doing with blue of like, this is how I foresee blue decks playing out. Like maybe sure in a vacuum, this is a B minus level card, but what decks want this? I think similar to Blood Servitor, like your argument for Blood Servitor, I think this is a card you can delay the decision with, right? You can take this early. It's going to be fine in any deck. No, it's not. Whoa, 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 whoa. It's not fine in any deck. You don't play this in an aggressive deck. Okay, you're right. It's not fine in any deck. Yeah. Take it back. Okay. I don't know. The truth is probably somewhere in the middle. That's what I was about to say. Yeah, CEC plus. That's fine. All right, let's get to it. Finally have my favorite part of the episode, which is where we compare our top Three commons in each color and our top two uncommons in each color. What's going on in white for you? In white, in the number three slot, I had a hard time with the number three white common. I don't think this is right, but this is my placeholder. Mm -hmm. Uh, I have Fierce Retribution. This is one in white for an instant. Destroy target attacking creature. And then you can cleave away the word attacking and pay six mana, five and a white to destroy target creature at instant speed. Yeah, I like that card quite a bit, actually. That didn't make my top three. I had Heron of Hope in the number three slot. This is three and a white for a two, three flyer. If you would gain life, you gain that much life plus one instead, and you can pay one and a white to give it lifelink until end of turn. We've seen this kind of effect before. This is one of those aforementioned, like both payoff and enabler for the lifelink deck. Like the fact that this, you activate this and then you're gaining three life off this attack, that's really hard to race. Yeah, I think that's a good call by you. I like that card a lot. And I think we're lined up for one and two. Number two, I've got Drog Skull Infantry, one and a white for a two, two with Disturb for three and a white. And it comes back as a plus two, plus two aura. Yep. And then in the number one slot, Kindly Ancestor, two and a white for a two, three lifelink, Disturb, one and a white. And you disturb it into an enchantment that gives enchanted creature lifelink. So good. And then we're all over the place with uncommons. My number two uncommon is Angelic Quartermaster. Three white white for the three three flyer. When he ETBs, you put a plus one plus one counter on each of up to two other target creatures. Yeah, I like that card a lot. Uh, My number two is Panicked Bystander. One and a white for a two two. Whenever it or another creature you control dies, you gain one life. At the beginning of your end step, if you gained three or more life this turn, transform Panicked Bystander into a 3-5 called Cackling Culprit. Whenever Cackling Culprit or another creature control dies, you still gain one life. And you can pay one and a black to give it Death Touch until end of turn. Yeah, and my number one is Twin Blade Geist. This is one and a white for a 1-1 double strike with Disturb 2 and a white. And the aura grants the creature double strike. Yeah, that should be probably be in mine <laughs> that, that card's, card's really, really good right because yeah. you're going to be able to put other disturb enhancements on it when it's a one one double strike yeah slap the lifelink or the flying one on this holy cow yeah yeah that should be in my <laughs> top white uncommons uh, right. my number one is valorous stance one in a white for an instant uncommon destroy a creature with toughness for a greater or give target creature indestructible until end of turn moving on to blue in the number three slot i've got the catch em all wretched throng or wretched throng one in a blue for a two one zombie horror when it dies you may search your library for a card named wretched throng reveal it put it into your hand then shuffle yeah that's actually my number two i really like wretched throng uh, my number three is Repository Scob, the card we argued about. Uh, three and a blue for three, three with exploit. When it exploits a creature, you rebuy an instant or a sorcery from your graveyard to your hand. 
Nice. Uh, my number two is Binding Geist. Just, just giving all the love to all the Disturbed cards. Two and a blue for a 3-1. When it attacks, target creature and opponent controls gets minus two, minus O oh until end of turn. And it disturbs for one and a blue as an aura that gives enchanted creature minus two, minus O. Oh. And number one, I assume we have the same card here. Lantern Bearer. Blue, one, one flyer. Disturb, two and a blue. And when it disturbs, enchanted creature gets plus one, plus one and has flying. That card is pushed i mean that just might be the best common in the set <laughs> it's insane it would be so easy for them to have just made the aura give flying yeah but it gives plus one plus one and flying yeah I, it feels like it's one of the only ones that does that too like the lifeling one doesn't do that the double strike one doesn't do that but boy howdy yeah very very strong and it plays well with all the exploit cards because then you can exploit it and get the enchantment back like it's ridiculous ridiculously powerful between that and wretched throng there's just gonna be really good ways to exploit yeah moving on to the uncommons in the number two slot i've got storm chaser drake one on a blue for a two one with flying and whenever it becomes the target of a spell you control draw a card i like that one a lot i've got cobbled lancer in the number two slot this is blue for the three three as an additional cost to cast it you exile a creature from your graveyard and you can pay three and a blue exile it from your graveyard to draw a card yeah, shout out to the Lords of Limited official preview card. Uh, and in the number one slot for me in Uncommons, I've got Diver Scob, three blue blue for a three five with exploit. And when Diver Scob exploits a creature, target creature's owner puts it on the top or bottom of their library. Yeah, that's another really good one. I've got <laughs> Bioloom Egg in the number one slot. This is two and wow. three for the 4 Defender. When it ETBs, you scry two. And when you sack it, return to the battlefield transformed under its owner's control at the beginning of the next end step. It comes back as 4-4 four, four Serpent. And you can sack two islands to make it unable to be blocked this turn. That is a take, my friend. Is That's it? a take. That yeah. card's so good and blue really wants to exploit. Yeah, but it's only it's a blue black gold card. No, 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 no. No blue wants to exploit blue. OK, so I, I would I feel very strongly about t two things from looking at the spoiler. One is that blue is going to be very good at self-contained exploiting. Like any blue X color pair is going to want to exploit. And I think black is going to care about life, life gain and blood tokens like self-contained within black. I think those two things are true. I don't think Bioloom makes a take. OK. All right. That's fair. I mean, I like the card a lot. And if you can get enough exploit. So how many exploit cards do you need before you're happy playing the egg? Five, six. Seems like a lot. But I mean, if you're picking, that's why I have Repository Scob as a top common. I think, you know, you're getting that. You're getting the 3-2 that draws a card. I don't know, man. I, I think exploiting is going to be happening often. Yeah. All right. I'm, I we'll have to see. I, I like the egg quite a bit, but I don't know about uh, I don't know about top blue common. You're really taking this over that. But you're never taking this over diver scob, are you? You're taking exploit fodder over exploit creatures. Bioloom egg is primo exploit fodder. Can you imagine curving Bioloom egg into something that exploits? You're getting a four four plus the body plus a benefit. Yeah. That's really powerful. It is very powerful. I agree. But I feel like I need the exploiters first. Yeah, I think egg's good enough. And I think the exploiters are prevalent enough that I'm, I'm willing to go after the egg. All right. All I'll say is I really like how much you've thought about how blue is going to play out. Yeah. All right. Looking at black, really tough. What do you think? Early take blue or black as a stronger color? Uh, my vote is on black, but I think they are both good. And I think... One of the things to note is that all of the cards Ethan and I are saying, even though we have differences, are very good. Yes. <laughs> and the fact yes. that we have multiple different... It's not like, uh, man, this color is weak. We really can't figure it out. So we're guessing. It's like, 
no, you have four great options to choose from for uncommons. Yeah. My number three black common is Ragged Recluse. It's one on a black for a 2-1. The beginning of your end step, if you discarded a card this turn, you transform it. It transforms into Odious Witch, which is a 3-3. And whenever it attacks, defending player loses a life and you gain a life. Yeah, that card is great. And I almost had it in my top black commons. I ended up booting it out because it doesn't transform until your end step. But you're still getting a 2-mana 3-3. I don't know. That card's really strong. Yeah, I feel like if I can put a two drop in the top three commons, I should. Yes, and I did Doom Descender as my number three. I was choosing between those two. Um, one in a black for a one one. When it dies, make a two two black zombie creature token. Uh, and then number two slot, I've got Bleed Dry. This is the four mana uh, removal spell. This set two black black for an instant. Target creature gets minus thirteen minus thirteen until end of turn. And if it would die, you exile it instead. Yeah, that card is primo. That's actually my number one black common. Uh, my number two is Gluttonous Guest, two and a black for the one four. When it ETBs, you make a blood token, and whenever you sack a blood token, you gain one life. Yeah, that, I, I could see that being a miss for me, not having it in my top three. I like that card a lot. I went went with a take here. Uh, blood Crazed Socialite is my number one. Three and a black for a three three with Menace. When it enters the battlefield, you make a blood token, and whenever it attacks, you can sack a blood token, and if you do, it gets plus two, plus two until end of turn. That card is pushed. Yeah, I mean, if you can consistently get the blood tokens out to where you're attacking with that as a 5-5 menace the turn after you cast it, it's really powerful. I feel like you only need one other blood token where your opponent goes, okay, I have to like double block this or find removal or whatever. Yeah, it's very good. Yeah. Moving on to black uncommons. In the number two slot, I've got Fell Stinger. This is two and a black for a 3-2 with Death Touch and Exploit. And whenever it exploits a creature, target player draws two cards and loses two life. I think you are a little bit looking at the set through exploit colored glasses here. I mean, maybe that is true, but I, <laughs> I also think that I see the other stuff. I mean, Felstinger's a very powerful card, right? Yes. So yes. The, the Doom Descender is a nod like that's just where it's a toss up, right? Because black is so deep. So it's not necessarily that I'm looking through exploit colored glasses. I think black is crazy deep. And I think I'm really excited about black both through the exploit aspect pairing black with blue but also just black white life gain and i think that's where some of your black picks are coming from is is the life gain synergy right and it's all there and it's all really powerful yeah i guess that's fair my number two is hero's downfall one black black instant destroy target creature or planeswalker yeah that's can't go wrong there a question for you yeah is hero's downfall better than bleed dry because i'm not even convinced that it's that much better well exile i think is a little less relevant in this set um three three mana is a, a lot less than four i will say especially because black has the two so it's got bleed dry blood craze socialite and then another good four drop in the like two three death touch and then like etbs exiles a thing and you gain two drain like drain two effectively mm-hmm, um mm-hmm. so i do think three mana is, is gonna be important okay in the number one slot i've got catapult fodder Two and a black for the one five at the beginning of combat on your turn. If you control three or more creatures that each have toughness greater than their power, you transform this. So this is already one of those three, right? And then you only need two other ones. Mm-hmm. Uh, transforms into catapult captain, two six, zombie, two and a black, tap, sacrifice another creature. Target opponent loses life equal to the sacrificed creature's toughness. Yeah, uh, my number one is Restless Bloodseeker. One and a black for a one three. At the beginning of your end step, if you gained life this turn, create a blood token. Sacrifice two blood tokens, transform Restless Bloodseeker only as a sorcery, and it turns into Blood-Soaked Reveler. It's a 3-3. It has the same at the beginning of your end step. If you gained life, create a blood token, and it has four and a black. Each opponent loses two life, and you gain two life. 
Yeah, I love that card, and I was really sad I didn't find room for it in my Black Uncommons. I could see it belonging over Felstinger, but again, they're both primo cards that go in different decks. Yeah, well, so my argument about Restless Bloodseeker is you either are going to care about gaining life or have blood tokens because it doesn't you just need two blood tokens to flip this. You don't and then it fuels itself on the backside to like just pump it and then or activate it and then you get a blood token. I don't know. I yeah, love this little guy. I agree. It is probably consistently going to be better than the Felstinger, but I think when you hit the high points with Felstinger, Felstinger ceilings higher. Yeah, maybe. So moving on to red commons in the number three slot, I've got blood petal celebrant. This is one in a red for a two one that has first strike as long as it's attacking. And whenever it dies, you get a blood token. Yeah, that's my number three. My number two is flame blessed bolt. It's a single red instant deal two to target creature or planeswalker. If it would die this turn, exile it instead. Same for me. And a number one, we both have a braid one in a red instant deal three to a creature or destroy target artifact. Yep. In the uncommon slot, I've got Alluring Suitor in the number two spot. Two in a red for a 2-3. When you attack with exactly two creatures, you transform it. It turns into Deadly Dancer. It's a 3-3 Trampler. When this creature transforms, you add red-red. Until end of turn, you don't lose this mana as steps and phases end, and you even have a place to put that mana. Red-red, Deadly Dancer, and another target creature each get plus one, plus O until end of turn. Yeah, that card's actually my number one. Nice. It's absurd. It's a three-mana Hoarding Ogre. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Maybe it is just better than the removal spell. It's really good. Yeah. Uh, my number two red uncommon, I've got Ballista Watcher. After talking about it, I'm a little less excited about that card, and I think I'm going to join you by putting the red removal spell as my number two. Yeah, so that's Rending Flame, two in a red instant, deal five to target creature or planeswalker. If that permanent is a spirit, it deals two damage to that permanent's controller as well. Um, so that's my number one. But I honestly, I could see just just flipping those. I th- Threats over removal, baby. I like Alluring Suitor at number one. All right. Green commons. In the number three slot, I've got Apprentice Sharpshooter. It's two and a green for a one four reach with training. Yeah, I like that card. It did not make my top three, unfortunately. Uh, my number three slot, I've got Flourishing Hunter, the 4GG66. When it ETBs gain life equal to the greatest toughness among other creatures you control. The disrespect. Wow. It's in my top three. What do you, <laughs> what do you want? <laughs> that's my number one <laughs> uh what do you got at number two uh, my number two is weaver of blossoms tuna green for the two three that taps to add one man of any color has day bound when it flips into the three four you add two man of any one color yep that's my number two as well i am shocked that spore crawler didn't make your top three tuna green for a three two when it dies draw a card yeah that card is good i don't know i was between that and the apprentice sharpshooter so flourishing hunter at number one is a bit of a take yeah that's and a fine. meme but I, I love that card, and I'm really excited to play the Butts deck. I mean, I could honestly see that being true. Flourishing Hunter is, I don't think green looks particularly good in this set, and Flourishing Hunter is one of the best things. Like, we've seen Honey Mammoth, Ravenous Linworm, and Flourishing Hunter, like, bumping that up, the, in, getting it in multiples is better in this set than it is in previous sets, because you're getting a 6-6 six, six, gain 6. Right, yeah, I do agree, and I did think about all that. I mean, it's part meme, part serious. And I do think it's real, especially with the green combat trick that gives plus two, plus two and trample for a single green. Like, I yeah. think that is what green wants to do at common yes. anyway. Um, so I was deciding between Apprentice Sharpshooter and the three, two. And I think Sharpshooter does more things for that style of green deck than the three, two does like an objectively more powerful magic card. Definitely the three, two dying and drawing a card. But I think Sharpshooter stabilizing you against flyers being a bigger butt than it is power. Like, I think green is actually wanting to lean into 
the butts theme a little bit, even if you're not green black. Yeah, and it's also it is just awkward that Spore Crawler, Weaver of Blossoms, and the Apprentice Sharpshooter are all three drops. Like noticing that that there's just like this glut in that mana value, and you're just like happy with all three of those cards, likely. But yeah, I think Spore Crawler is pretty powerful. Well, and I think Spore Crawler is going to hit a point where like you're not necessarily going to get the card, right? Because it's better on defense than it is offense, because then it's definitely it's definitely dying and drawing you a card, right? There's going to come a point in the game where you would have to chump attack with it to draw the card. Well, well, that's a scenario where your opponent's not, not attacking you on the ground. And that's also a good scenario, right? Because it also like is good with double blocks, too. Yes, I, I agree. It's a good card. But it's also very good on attacks with training, right? Because like, it's awkward, it's awkward sometimes to be like, well, how, what am I what am I going to get to attack with to get the counter on my training creature? And this does that really well because your opponent's like, ah, this is three power. It's probably going to trade with most things. And then they get a card like, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I think I think it is certainly reasonable to have that in your top comments. It's an objectively powerful magic card. Yeah. And we're lined up in the uncommon slot, I think. Yep, number two, Reclusive Taxidermist. This is one in a green for the one-two that taps out of mana of any color and gets plus three, plus two as long as there are four more creature cards in your graveyard. Yeah, and number one, Bramble Worm, six in a green, seven, six, reach, trample, ETBs, gain five, two in a green, exile it from your yard, gain five. Okay, so time out. How can you like Reclusive Taxidermist and hate the Foreboding Statue? Is it just that the Foreboding Statue costs three? Uh... Yeah, I think so. Because you're getting a 5-5 eventually out of the Foreboding Statue, and it seems like Taxidermist is harder to turn on than the 1-2 than the turning into a 5-5. Five five. That's true. I think that I think it is a big difference at costing, especially with looking at what green has in the 3-drop slot, it costing 2 is a pretty big difference. Right, because you're more excited about the Ramper at that point? Mm-hmm. All right, I'll buy it. Well, I thought we weren't going to have a lot to talk about, Ben, but this might be one of our longest crash courses ever. Yeah, I think it was some good conversations, though, to be had when we were talking about grading differences and top comments. Yeah, for sure. I feel like, yeah, I feel like we we went toe to toe a little bit more than we we normally do, and I really appreciate the discussions. Yeah, for sure. All right. Any last second format predictions before we ship this out into the world? No, I mean, I'm going to I thought I was going to be out of town this weekend, but I am not. So I'm going to be jamming drafts like as soon as they start on Thursday. And I do think it does look red looks pretty darn weak to me. I don't want to write it off like we did, at you know, like I don't even know if we did, but like a lot of folks did at the start of mid. Um, I don't want to write it off, but red and green look the weakest to me. I'm most excited about drafting white, blue and black. Yes, I I would say blue and black for me. And I, I am also very excited about green black butts or just green mm-hmm. figuring out all that stuff but yeah blue and black look really pushed to me so yeah we'll have to see how it all shakes out great place to wrap us up thank you as always to salty pretzels for our intro and outro music make sure you give it a listen thanks so much to channelfireball.com for sponsoring this podcast if you're heading over to cfb for any and all purchases signing up for cfb pro please use the code lol when you check out to let them know we sent you there you can check us out streaming i'm at twitch.tv slash lord tupperware ben is at twitch.tv slash mr metronome mr is spelled out we're both under those same usernames on twitter and you can tweet at the podcast at lords of limited if you've got any feedback about the show or any questions shoot us an email at lords of limited at gmail.com thanks so much for listening and we'll catch you next week for another episode of lords of limited Thanks, everybody. See you later.